gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Welcome everyone to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet, coming to you as live as WrestleMania 36 on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify and Android. You know, you've seen from the blurb on the show you're about to hit, you know this show's about Sting. And when they first decided to do a show on Sting, we all wondered who could host such a show. And then we thought, Ross can. <laughs> and although this show... <laughs> <laughs> you popped yourself. <laughs> it was the awkward silence and then the laugh of you two, just like, that joke's crap, I'm not going to laugh. Oh, damn, I'm going to laugh. <laughs> That's my one, mate. Although this show is not about the musician sting, it's the wrestler sting. So if you want to join the conversation on our tw- Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Suplex Retweet, then use the hashtag Ring Sting. That's hashtag Ring Sting. That way you know you're talking about the wrestler sting and not that guy that's a policeman. So <laughs> that was good. Before I break the panel with more shite jokes, why don't we just meet them now? Sting's crow gimmick is about a man who rises from the grave. Kind of what this man looks like when he drags his ass out of bed in the morning. It's Ryan Wilson. Hey, thank you very much. That was good. I liked it. How are you, Ryan? Uh, I'm I'm okay. I'm currently sitting in my car during lockdown. Uh, I've just put my two-year-old to sleep, so I couldn't do it in the house. I fear of waking her up. So I'm <laughs> sitting in a car park, an empty car park, alone. Just like Sting. In the see, see, this will be where like the non-parents are like, why is he sitting in his car, you weirdo? And the parents listening will be like, I totally get that. Fair play, mate. Absolutely yeah. fair play. Aye, and it's kind of weird that the car's all steaming up, so if anybody walks past, it kind of looks like a creepy guy sitting in a car by himself with his engine off. <laughs> so, me, like, don't break eye contact with anybody. <laughs> don't eat a banana. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and next up. Now, I couldn't get the cool surfer sting of Monday Night Rewind, Mr. Nathan Fisher. However, I have drafted in his Lex Luger, and he will be your hero. He is Chris Murray. <laughs> yes, yes, love it, I love it. I wasn't sure where that was going to go. I love it, it's absolutely fantastic. How are you, Ross? Oh, I'm very well, how are you? I'm good. I was drafted in at the last possible moment to work on this show, and I was originally thinking that I couldn't make it. Thank you both for reorganising your schedules so that I could be on it. Sting is quite literally an icon. So I'm really looking forward to this show. Yes, the man called Chris. And we're just going to try to get into his early days as we start here. It's ironic to think, as you mentioned there, Chris, he's an icon. He's someone whose longevity has, you know, baffled many people. And it's quite ironic that he wasn't a fan of wrestling growing up. Yeah, I, I understand that. He, was, he was 25 years old when he seen his first wrestling show. 25 yeah, yeah. when he went to see um, WWF, I think it was. Um, in his local town and a gym and he went with his pal um, ended up becoming the Ultimate Warrior who was also in his 20s two <laughs> of the biggest names in professional wrestling didn't even see wrestling until they were 20 odd which is a bit mental yeah they were taken to a WWE live event in Los Angeles by their trainer Rick Bassman and it, it is weird just to think like someone just nearly missed out on wrestling just by the fact that you know back when he was growing up he had no access to it 
it, it's always the weird thing, isn't it? Aye, but it's probably kind of good, though. In a way, obviously it's worked out well for him, but also maybe he didn't have all these hopes and dreams, and so he, he didn't really... He, he went for it because he, he wasn't, had nothing to lose. Do you know all these people like, want to become a wrestler, and if it doesn't work right away, maybe they give up? This thing was kind of like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in shape, I'm in the gym, I'll just fucking go for it and see what happens. And uh, it worked out pretty well. So back then he was known as Flash, and as Ryan mentioned, the Ultimate Warrior was known as The Rock. They were part of Power Team USA. Chris, it's 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 weird to think that when you think of Ultimate Warrior, you think of you know the colourful eighties, early nineties WWF. When you think of Sting, you think Monday Night Wars, the WCW. You know the guy that wouldn't go to WWE for so many years. It's weird to think that these guys who when you look at it on paper or different decades but started their career together that's so very very strange like i remember hearing about this tag team when i was younger and i remember seeing pictures of them together as well it's so so cool it's i mean they both went on to a very different wrestling paths i think we can say it's quite yeah. obvious sting of course becoming a mainstay of not one but two promotions over the next what 20 25 years whereas another wrestler you know, maybe flew too close to the sun, I think is a good way of putting it. Yeah, someone who let fame go to his head, I think, is the best way to describe it. Um, yeah, they were Power Team USA and then the Blade Runners throughout smaller promotions in the United States. Um, I talked about how, obviously, it seems like their paths didn't really cross. Are any of you aware of the Black Scorpion storyline? Uh, no, Yes, yes, yeah. Um, oh, I remember this. Is it not to do with Ric Flair? Yes. Um, Sting in 1992 during a run as WCW champion. I've left it out because basically it kind of tight. I've left it out his early years because there's so much to talk about his surfer Sting gimmick. But this bit when we're talking about Warrior, it kind of ties in. He had basically beaten all the horsemen. He'd got his revenge on Big Van Vader. He'd beaten Rick Rude. He, you know, he'd, he'd done all his rivalries with Flair. So the Black Scorpion was being teased as someone from his past and Ultimate Warrior was on the outs with WWE at the time and it looked as if Ultimate Warrior was going to be revealed as the Black Scorpion and then as so often happens with Ultimate Warrior, money got in the way, plans fell through and they eventually just put Ric Flair under the mask and had Ric Flair beat him for the title. Oh, I remember this now, yeah. Um, wasn't the, the Black Scorpion attacking them for months under a hood? He would just start attacking yeah. in random matches, and then I think it was at Starcade or something like that. Um, finally, uh, the mask was revealed, and it was Ric Flair, and it was very underwhelming because he yeah. had about thirteen matches with Ric Flair on pay-per-view at that point. <laughs> and and yeah. also there was some Sorry, sort of you. continuity error as well, I think, because I'm sure I'm sure the Black Scorpion also attacked Ric Flair at one point as well, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It fell yeah. the <laughs> It was one of those ones just. Like, when, do you remember WrestleMania 27, also Sting? Um, they thought it was going to be Sting behind those promos. And then when he declined, they just went, oh, it's The Undertaker, we'll just go with Undertaker, Triple H at WrestleMania. It's sort of just one of those ones, just it fell on its arse and they had to scramble. Yeah, I mean, like, back then, though, like, the wrestling business wasn't anything like it is today. Uh, obviously um, and like social media hadn't figured it out there wasn't all these sort of smart fans it was like oh actually that doesn't make sense no like nobody cared like 
it was still a big deal when it got revealed. Ric Flair was the most over guy in the world. So the biggest heel, the horsemen were the biggest heels, and Sting was the biggest babyface, and the place went mental because people just liked wrestling back then. It wasn't overfought, it wasn't overbooked. It was just, it was fun, and it was good, and it worked. When you see uh, the costume the Black Scorpion wore, you can definitely tell wrestling was not overbooked then. It was a, <laughs> it was a pair of pre-marked jammies and a. <laughs> A pound shop knockoff Spider-Man outfit. I was not great. Aye, that's right. <laughs> um, Chris, when you obviously you, you go through those early years, you think of all the the missed opportunities with Ultimate Warrior. You think when they eventually teamed together again, a big deal would be made about it. Yeah, it's uh, uh, what. I don't know, do you think we're maybe looking back on this with a bit of hindsight and maybe thinking it was better than it was? Because who knows if, like, you know, back in around this time, 86, 87, both these wrestlers hadn't quite made a name for themselves just yet. So who knows if people were just like, oh, these are just another two, you know, meathead wrestlers. But it's crazy to think that, you know, all those promotions that had them, like the UWF, the CWA, they all just basically missed a huge opportunity. Can you imagine, you know, these two companies, which were, you know, very, very small companies at the time for what they were. Imagine they built their whole companies around Sting and Warrior just being massive. Both wrestlers never go to WCW or WWF. And instead, you know, CWA is the biggest wrestling promotion in the world now. Just it's fun <laughs> to look back on. Yeah, no, the best thing that ever happened to Sting was splitting up with Warrior. Because not only did the Warrior turn out to be, you know, let's face it, a bit of a psycho, but also Sting went on to have his match at Class of Champions with Ric Flair, the one that went 45 minutes. And that was the match that Ric Flair, who I'm sure was booking at the time, basically made Sting. He was the one that like, put him over like in the back and stuff and said, this guy can go 45 minutes with me. He's going to be the next best thing. And then from then on, it was Ric Flair who pushed for Sting to be the babyface against the Horseman. And Sting, of course, got more and more popular and became a superstar. And I don't think that would have happened if he would have stayed with Warrior. Um, you know, I don't know what would have happened. Maybe it's still been a tag team. Maybe shooting with the Steiners still. Uh, take more steroids. Probably died young. <laughs> we never know. Well, obviously, you've, you've kind of taken us right into the surfer Sting era. Um, <laughs> No, 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 no. We're, we're going there anyway. You've, you've naturally taken us there, Ryan. Uh, yeah, You're you welcome. talked about. <laughs> you talk about the the nineteen eighty eight Clash Champions. There was always something about Sting. He was enjoyable. He was full Scorpio. Uh, sorry, Surfer dude gimmick at this point. He was away from Warrior, as you mentioned. He went forty five minutes with Ric Flair. Chris. He doesn't win the title, but he still gets over because Ric Flair was that good. It's crazy because in 1988, this would be hailed as a fantastic booking idea of doing such a thing. Like, but now obviously, like we would hate if something like this happened. But this is such a great way to get somebody over as massive. Yeah, 45-minute match. Sadly, doesn't win the title, but in doing so, he looks absolutely brilliant. You know, compare it to something more recently. You know, you had uh, Daniel Bryan versus Drew Gulak, and just how brilliant Drew looked at the end of the match with Daniel I think that was that elimination chamber eventually turning him face and giving him a whole spotlight on him it's a recipe for success despite the fact that I'm sure wrestling fans absolutely hate it but yeah 45 minutes what a match 
Yeah, similar as well, a little bit to a much smaller extent with Kurt Angle and John Cena. John Cena's debut, he was a guy that nobody really knew. Came for development, he faced the greatest wrestler in the world at that time. It wasn't a title match, it was on a TV match, but everybody still talks about it to this day. And sometimes losing, if you're a big enough babyface and you've got a good enough heel putting you over, then it, it works. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned how Ric Flair pushed for him to be the babyface going up against the horseman. WCW at this point is very heel heavy. It's Rick Rude, Ric Flair and Big Van Vader who's just came back from Japan. And yet, just from this one match, he ends up in feuds with the likes of Rick Rude, Ric Flair and Vader, trading world titles back and forward. Again, just off a of one match. It's, you know, Chris mentioned wrestling fans might hate it today. You look at... Um, over in New Japan, the reason they kept the Kenny Omega Okada storyline going was because Okada couldn't beat him the second time. He went an hour and Omega passed out, avoiding the Rainmaker, you know what I mean? It still made Kenny Omega, it still kept things going and it meant later on he could end up winning the New Japan title. This, I think, is very similar to that. Absolutely, hi. And um, it was... It was the quality of matches as well. As well, it wasn't just like they didn't have anybody else. They just kept on using Sting. It was because Sting kept on delivering, and of course, Ric Flair kept on delivering. But this was Ric Flair at his prime, his peak. He was the best, best in the world. You know, people argue that he's the best of all time. That's a different conversation. But they were having two guys having fucking amazing matches constantly. So like, it was working, and they were making money because every time they went to. They heard about the match that happened the night before, so like they were getting so much money, and and the standard was so high that like it had to continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Chris, obviously you're one of the co-hosts of Monday Night Rewind. Um, you are reviewing every Nitro and Raw from the Monday Night Wars. Hulk Hogan comes in '93. That kind of takes away some of the shine from Sting, because Sting was the WWE. WCW International World Champion Ric Flair is the WCW Champion they have a title unification match which is basically so Ric Flair can be the undisputed champion to lose to Hogan Hogan sort of monopolising the world title scene no, and then in the- never <laughs> I know, I know it is a shocking thing and then Lex Luger comes in in 1995 and the story from there is all about Hogan and friends going after the Dungeon of Doom and Hogan going up against Lex Luger. Can they trust each other for the world title? Yeah, it was an interesting period of time, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird. To me, that the best thing that ever happened to the Sting character was... this is I'm going off topic here, so stay with me on this thread, uh, this thread here. And if <laughs> I go way off, then just pull me back, right? But the best thing to me that happened to the Sting character was the steroid trial in WWF. Because when that happened, WWF got rid of a lot of their big guys. Um, the guys that looked like they were on steroids because they were um, Hogan had testified against Vince so he was out of the company uh, Warrior, um, a couple of other bigger guys I think Macho Man left or were sacked, I'm not really sure Hogan then of course went to WCW as you mentioned and when Hogan came in, Sting sort of fell down the card um, and he was he was in Team Hogan wasn't he fighting the dungeon of them um, yeah but he was Absolutely. fighting like fucking Brutus Beefcake and all that. Do you know what I mean? Just or whatever his name was at that point, WCW. Brother Brutai, was that his name? I'm not even making that up. Um, no, no, that was definitely one of his names. <laughs> yeah, so um, 
Sting fell down the card because Hogan, of course, was not on top because it was Hogan. Um, so Sting had to sort of, he had to reinvent himself or just fall into the mid card. And Sting's too talented and at that point too experienced to just become a mid carder. So he left and he sort of reinvented himself. And uh, again, I'm skipping ahead, I'll stop. <laughs> Let's not do something. So Ryan, Ryan touches on a good point, Chris. Um, he is with the likes of Hogan, Savage, and Lex Luger on Team Hogan, but at the same time, it is—it's all about Hogan and these Dungeon of Doom guys. You know, you're you're watching the matches at the minute. They're not exactly the best wrestlers. <laughs> yeah, there is, there's, there's some good content hidden in amongst it though. Like the point that we're at in WCW in 1995, where me and Nathan are go and have a listen to all seven or eight episodes that are up there just now on Suplex Retweet Extra. But the point that we're at, Sting is basically the glue that holds the group together. Like, Randy Savage thinks that Lex Luger can't be trusted. And Lex Luger is also Sting's best mate. But also Hogan and Luger have their problems. And Sting's basically going about everyone at this point, heading into that first uh, War Games match, which I think was at Fall Brawl 1995. He's the one that's just like, this is what they're doing to us. They're making us split. You guys have to keep this together for the benefit of this match. And Sting plays such a pivotal character in that whole period of time. Of course, Hogan, because he's such a massive mark for himself, gets the win in the War Games match. But it really should have been Sting because he was the one that was most essential to that team in total kayfabe sense. <laughs> um, so... We go from one War Games to, an, to another War Games. You talked about uh, Sting being the glue that held that team together. Uh, Bash at the beach, we don't need to go too much into that. We know Hogan joins the NWO. He turns on Luger, Sting and Macho Man. We we have a fall brawl um, War Games. It's the NWO and they claim they've recruited Sting, which of course would be played by Jeff Farmer. Lex Luger starts telling... Uh, the team that he doesn't believe stings on WCW side and this is when we start to see the cracks this is when the foundation for the crow sting is laid by NWO planting doubt that WCW's biggest star could be on the other side yeah, I like the way you sucked these in this as well because I'm sure at this point Sting stopped dying his hair as well so we had black hair at this point so he's already sort of yes. transforming um, and I love the whole, I mean, it is pure wrestling bullshit, but the whole two stings at, at, um, at War Games was excellent. Because like, you could tell it was a different guy, but like at the time, watching it, not that I was old enough to like watch it live, but like the fans were eating it up, and they were buying it, and people were invested. And the, the weeks leading up to it, I've not watched it in years, but like, I remember like... Um, Luger and Sting were like fighting in the back, is that right? And like, I think Sting attacked Luger backstage with a bat. Obviously, it wasn't no, Sting, it was a fake Sting. Aye, it's fake Sting. Aye. Aye. Yeah. But then Luger thought that it was a real Sting, so they were all like in fighting and stuff, and it was a really well booked for the time. I've not watched it back in a while, so like, I don't know if I'm just looking at it like more fondly than I should, but. Yeah, really, I mean, really just, there's so much to that that happens in wrestling, isn't there, that you probably remember it better than it actually was at the time, but I remember this really, really fondly. I mean, I say I remember this, I remember this from when I watched it, which was like years and years later. I think maybe like, 
I don't know, six or seven years ago, so I remember it fondly from when I watched it that time round. But I think it was, yeah, as you say, Hogan just started going on about how he's like, yeah, yeah, we, we've got Sting. Sting's on our side. And then I think it was the final Nitro before Fall Brawl that the Sting attack on Luger happened. And um, mm. it, it's great because, like, the WCW wrestlers are just full. They're like, fine then. Well, we'll take on NWO, just the three of us. It'll be fine. And then Sting turns up because in storyline, he was on a plane to the arena while the show was going on. That seems like poor time management, Sting. But he's on <laughs> oh, his no. way to the arena. And on WCW, that's probably what happened. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's probably just absolute fact. But yeah, eventually Sting gets to the arena, I think, towards the end of the show and he goes straight for Luger and he's like, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I just got here. And Luger's like not having it at all. And it's, it's brilliant storytelling. Imagine... Imagine your best friend attacking you and then your best friend later saying to you, I didn't do that. And you going, no, you did. I felt it. Like, nah, could it be me, mate? Must have been mad, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then I just... the, the actual, the actual, the actual War Games match itself, I'm, I'm sure Ross will go on and talk about this, but it's just fantastic. that You've got NWO Sting in there fighting with the WCW guys then the real Sting comes out just goes mental, batters all the NWO guys, then, then just turns away. to Luger oh, that's good. yeah, he, he, turn, he turns to he turns to Luger and he's just like, is that good enough for you? is that proof enough that it's me? and then just walks out on the match and it's just like, oh, it's so good because it's really like, badass like, you think it's going to be this big you think it's going to be this big massive like feel good ending you know like everybody walks away happy but no he's still so raging he's like do you know what you let me down so this time i'm going to deliberately let you down and he walks out mm-hmm. yeah i like it is it's one of those ones as well sometimes we talk about wrestling being like you've got dungeon of doom that's cartoony wrestling you've got the screw job that's you know wrestling that's realist and then in between here we had the goofiness of there being two stings and yet the realism of like if your mate didn't believe you when you told him the truth and then when he's presented with the truth you wouldn't automatically make up you'd be wanting an apology as well for having your name dragged through the dirt Um, and I do like the fact that he shows up to clear his name but then he doesn't have anything else to prove and the fact that the the people on the team Luger, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson have all turned on Sting in the past and he's forgave them. The fact that they couldn't give him the benefit of the doubt once plays into what I think is a really good storyline. And I'm just, I'm going to read you the promo he cuts the next night on uh, Nitro after the match. He's walked out on his team, his team have lost. And he says, I want the chance to explain something that happened last Monday night at Nitro. Last Monday night, I was on an airplane, as Chris mentioned, flying from LA to Atlanta, again, poor time management. When I got to Atlanta, I I turned the TV on to Nitro, and I thought I was watching a rerun, a very convincing film, often imitated but never duplicated. And what else do I see? I see people, I see wrestlers, I see commentators, I see my best friend doubt me. That's right, doubted the stinger. So I heard Lex Luger say, I know where he lives, I know where he works out. So I'm going to go get him. So I say to myself, I'll go into seclusion, which I have to kind of call Sting out on. If you want to clear your name, you don't go into hiding. (laughs) I'll wait and see what happens on Saturday night. And I tune in on Saturday night and what do I see? More of the same, more doubt, which brings me to Fall Brawl. 
I knew I had to get to Fall Brawl and get face to face with Luger and let him know it wasn't me, that I still got out. And he said, no Sting, I don't believe you Sting. Well, I got to say, I've been a, me a meditator, I've been a babysitter for Lex Luger. I've given him the benefit of the doubt a thousand times in the last 12 months. I've carried the WCW banner and I've given my blood, sweat and my tears for WCW. So to all those fans out there and all those wrestlers and all those people that never doubted me, I'll stand by you if you stand by me. But for all the people, all the commentators, all the wrestlers and my best friend who doubted me, you can stick it. From now on, Sting's a free agent. That I, I don't do it justice, but I wanted to read the whole thing out so you can just see how angry he is. Go watch it. It's a great promo. It's funny. I watched that last night. Uh, <laughs> you're right. It was fucking excellent. And I'm sure, correct me if I'm wrong here, somebody, but that was the last time Sting spoke on television for over a year. Just yeah. about. I think. I think it was the following week. The following week, or, or maybe maybe like two weeks after, or something like that, around this time, oh, basically. Oh, no, that's right. He said one more thing, didn't he? And then, but then that was yeah. about a year silent. The NWO try to recruit Sting, and Sting like flirts with the idea that he's going to join them. Um, and he says something really stupid, like something along the lines of, the only rule is that there are no rules, or like the only thing you can count on is that you can't count on Sting or something stupid ah, like that's that. Right, yeah. So after the September 16 promo, he does disappear for over a month. He returns on October 21st. Fake Sting is in a match. He's still dressed as Surfer Sting. When out appears, dressed like Eric Draven, the real Sting, debuting his crow gimmick where he drops him for the first time using the Scorpion Death Drop. And this this is when Crow Sting is born. And this leads to the match that the match that put WCW on the map in the Monday Night Wars, I think, the most bought pay-per-view WCW ever had. Chris, you give us the timelines on Monday Night Rewind. You did it on the Retro Rewind. Give us the timeline from Sting's Crow debut to Starcade 97 when he fights Hulk Hogan for the world title. So, give or take, I think the whole thing is 18 months. I think there's a year of him not being there and then there's six months of, you know, the build-up that we've just sort of mentioned. I mean, as you said, that, that promo is iconic. Like, I... I know that WCW will be best remembered for the this is the new world order of wrestling brother promo, but I, I would maybe argue that this is the best promo they do. There's 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 a few memorable moments from Nitro. That, sorry, there is only a few memorable moments of, of Nitro that are actually promos and not ones that are, you know, remembered just because they're laughable, like the Sid Vicious one. I think that some of the iconic ones are like, Ric Flair on Final Nitro and this one <laughs> and there's very few in between because you know the guys just didn't do that good promos but yeah so as you said War whoa, Games whoa, whoa, happens whoa. Scott Steiner please Scott Steiner shoot a promo <laughs> of course how could we ever forget and I mean when we go into TNA we've got his, his sums coming up as well oh, but okay. yes so September 16th 1996 to December 28th 1997 that's basically the timeline. September 16th is that promo that Ross just beautifully read out, that wonderful piece of prose that he he <laughs> uh, delivered to us, which I just absolutely loved. So Ross all the way through this... in front of the mirror last night and full face paint rehearsing that. 
<laughs> yeah, I could imagine that. That would be amazing. I say as I got a makeup wipe off, wiping my face paint off. <laughs> Scott comes into the room dressed as Surfer's thing, like, oh god, we've messed up. We're supposed to be the same one. <laughs> so yeah, the first time he comes out, as you mentioned, I think was like three weeks after this. And as Ross mentioned, he attacks Jeff Farmer, who's now appearing as, uh, you know, Surfer Sting, a.k.a. NWO Sting, a.k.a. whatever, uh, NWO Japan Sting, I think, as well. And so basically, he comes out over the course of the next, like, year. Well, NWO are just running through all of these WCW faces and just leaving them all for dead or making them join the group. And he comes out and he does this thing that's almost like... He wants the wrestlers to like declare their allegiance to WCW, and he's doing this thing where he basically he, he like goes this, to attack. Sorry, sense up. Is this that thing where he sort of turned his back and sort of wait, everybody got a free hit on him, sort of thing? Well, yeah, quite literally. He does this thing where he, he like he sort of tries to provoke the wrestlers to attack them, and then he goes to swing at them with his baseball bat, and then just as he goes to do it, he stops, and he hands that particular wrestler the baseball bat. And he turns his back and he just puts his arms up like go for it and he knows that if they attack him then that wrestler is not wcw and very few wrestlers are sort of you know declared as wcw during this time and it's just this really weird really interesting really unique thing by sting that he's doing without having ever seen a word during this whole period there's this brief flirtation at the start of the year where he teams with randy savage which i think isn't actually that well remembered because it was kind of crap but basically randy savage turns his back on wcw and the nwo and declares himself a free agent and they start teaming up for a while in fact they even come to the ring together as sort of backup for rowdy roddy piper when he goes against hogan i think it was at super brawl 7 i think i wrote down in my notes and basically sting and savage are backing up roddy piper who's going to fight Hogan for the belt but then the storyline is sort of flipped on its head and just sort of bend because Randy Savage ends up going back to the NWO so then it goes on for a bit longer Dennis Rodman gets involved and basically it goes on and on and on and JJ Dillon who's the on-screen sort of president slash head of uh, Nitro at this point or commissioner or whatever he just keeps going to Sting trying to get him to sign a contract to wrestle and it's going on and on and on every time Sting just he's like laughing in his face he's ripping up the contracts right in front of him he's not interested in signing a contract to wrestle until finally JJ Dillon just goes to him like look who do you want to wrestle and he, he keeps it up he still doesn't say a word and he points to a sign in the crowd and the sign just says on it Hogan and it's just at that point you know it's like yeah Sting has put up with this for long enough he's now coming after Hogan's title so it's a bit back and forward, and it never—it doesn't really go anywhere for that well until eventually he gets his match with the long-reigning WCW champion at this point. I know obviously he loses the belt to Lex Luger for a wee bit, but essentially he's just been champion for like fucking a decade or something, something at this point. Um, so after being out of the ring for almost a year, the fans have waited such a long time to see him back in the ring properly. The wait finally comes to an end, December 28th. 1997, biggest moment in WCW history at Starcade. Right, and who who booked that? Because can you imagine these days doing something that long term? 
and that's slow. It just wouldn't happen in modern day wrestling. Absolutely, and it's amazing. It's amazing that it even happened at that time either, because obviously, one of the things that's been mentioned loads when you're talking about the history of WCW at all is the fact that well, you can't do long-term booking because all the wrestlers have control over their own storylines. So you can't plan something 18 months in advance where Hulk Hogan gets beat by such and such because Hulk Hogan will just be like, eh, I don't actually like this. Like six months into it. And then there you go, there's your next year screwed. So it's amazing that you've managed to pull something like this off. Yeah, no, it really is. And it's, it worked so well. I mean, the build-up was fucking incredible. And like to this day, probably one of the best and most patient builds to any wrestling match. The match itself we'll get onto wasn't didn't finish maybe as a lot of people would have liked it to, but the the build up was incredible. And obviously that showed by the buy date. Yeah, over seventy thousand view uh, buys. Uh, up until this point the only pay per view that had more buys than WCW's uh Starcade was WrestleMania five, Hogan versus Savage. So you think of like it was the mega powers exploding one year of storyline. This was 18 months of storyline. It just goes to show that long-term storytelling did result in pay-per-view buys, you know what I mean? Like, the two biggest before WrestleMania 17 were storylines that were a year plus. Yeah, and now we've got Braun Strowman versus Goldberg with three days notice. <laughs> But it annoys me so much the fact that they've got all those social media channels and they've got the bump and they've got all these shows like WWE now and they couldn't have put fucking promos on. How hard is it? Even like a week, a week earlier, even have Triple H come out and be like, Roman, Roman, had leuke- uh, Roman Reigns had leukemia, we all know this. Um, his immune system is fucked. He can't wrestle. But he's, he's handpicked his replacement, one of his greatest rivals who brought out the best in him or something like that. Braun Strowman and everybody claps and that's it that, that's at least something yeah Ryan you've, uh, al- you've already convinced me that I want to see that match but I'm forgetting I've seen it and there was no build <laughs> I think the build was just Michael Cole saying Michael Cole actually just went um, and Roman Reigns replacement will be Braun Strowman for this Sunday at Wrestlemania and I was like what the fucking phone what <laughs> I knew it happened, but like, I was just like, Michael Cole, don't fuck with me like that. Don't just say that casually. He didn't even mention it. Didn't go into any detail. This was the go home SmackDown before WrestleMania. Michael Cole just goes, um, "It will now be a Braun Strowman versus Goldberg," and then he just stopped talking. And I've been saying why. And it's like Roman Reigns on television has already acknowledged that he had cancer. Just say that. Like, oh, sorry, I'm getting hot. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We we talk about obviously this match, how good the sting build was, how hated NWO Hogan was at this point. We've completely forgot that another selling point to this match was the fact that they recently screwed out of the WWE title. Brett the Hitman Hart would be making his debut for WCW at this pay-per-view as well. He was going to be the special guest enforcer. Uh, and obviously Ryan mentioned the match isn't the best. For those of you that don't know, Nick Patrick was supposed to do a fast count for Hogan as he was NWO's referee at the time. And then Bret Hart would come out, restart the match as the enforcer. He would be the referee and then Sting would get the submission on Hogan. You know, and that that's the finish. Hogan convinced Nick Patrick to count normally 
the finish came, Sting took the pin, and all it did was it kind of tarnished it because 18 months of build, Hulk Hogan wins. Sting looks kind of like Bret Hart and Sting just look like complainers as if, no, no, we're, we're making up the rules as we go along, restart the match. And they'll get kills, basically. Yeah, it, it tarnishes the match just because Hulk Hogan is a bell end. But something I'd maybe like to talk about, because we could talk about Hogan being a bell end all day. Sting at this point was not in the best shape. You know, he was going through some things in his personal life. He had not became a born again Christian yet, so he was drinking a wee bit too much. Um, he didn't show up in the best state for himself here, Sting. You know what I mean? Like, we, we always talk about Hogan being a bell end, which is an easy thing to do. Sting doesn't exactly cover himself in glory after the storyline, does he? Um, I don't really remember, to be perfectly honest. I remember him wrestling in a shirt, which I thought was quite weird. Because <laughs> um, he ended up doing that in TNA when he was getting a bit older, but like, fair enough. Um, and I remember, I'm maybe getting this mixed up, the next night on Nitro, they have a rematch, Sting and Hogan, and then I believe, correct me if I'm wrong here by the way, that the they run over their allotted time, so we don't get, get to see the finish of the match. But that was intentional because they were debuting, debuting Thunder later that week. So they had the finish to the rematch on Thunder later that week, is that right? And then Sting won it. Uh, yep, that's exactly that's it. Probably, that's what happened, I so Sting ended up becoming world champion, but it was a really weird convoluted. This is WWE, WCW in a nutshell here, isn't it? Um, a weird convoluted thing that took a pay per view, an episode of Nitro, and an episode of Thunder to actually happen. <laughs> it, it bugs me because they could have made it so much better. Like, obviously, I, I can't comment because, you know, I watched this when I was about 20, not when I was about seven in 1997 yeah. but like why didn't they just go right the ending to that match was a bit messed up you're going to see the rematch on the inaugural episode of thunder literally yes. everybody would have watched it like yeah. instead i think they must have realized that they didn't have enough storylines for nitro just bring them out on nitro have them do a shot where they like have yeah contract signing even just look at each other a wee bit funny like yeah that's all you needed Ah, it was ridiculous, but again, this is WCW we're talking about here, so like, these sort of things tend to crop up a lot. But don't get me wrong, like, I actually loved the build-up to this match, and literally every single bit of this match, except that little messed up pinfall bit, was actually really good. Like, yeah. Sting gets battered, and then overcomes Hogan. It's a beautiful moment. The build-up to the match is a beautiful moment. Even when Sting's coming to the ring, I was so buzzing watching this. I remember, in fact, it's funny we're talking about this now, because this is now the third time I have been drafted into any sort of ESSR show to speak about this exact match. My first ever show for Suplex Retweet was talking about this match. We had a show maybe like six months ago where I got to talk about this match and here we are coming back to it a third time because it's just so, so, so significant. Like, I remember Sting's entrance was phenomenal. He had this like, it was like this laser th screen thing where he like shot an image of like a, a, a scorpion into these like light tubes. So it came up like 3D or something weird like that. I remember just thinking for 1997, this is absolutely amazing. Yeah, for but, kids back then. Yeah. So cool. It must absolutely, absolutely blow your mind. And the thing is, as well, like 
you can have a messed up finish and still remember the storyline fondly. Like, look at what we did recently, Ross, with WrestleMania 10. Like, the finish to Bret Hart and Yokozuna is an absolute bag of nonsense. But the actual build-up to when the last the year turnbuckle. before that... Yeah, when he, when he falls off the turnbuckle, uh, Yokozuna falls off the turnbuckle. It's crap. It's looks ridiculous but the actual build up in every other single moment the first 99% of that storyline is good enough that I said in the review I can just forget about how bad that finish was and it's the same with Sting and Hogan I, I can just forget in my mind how badly it ended for how good the run up to it was yes <laughs> I agree with that in fact I'd actually forgot about the finish until I rewatched it the other night knowing that I was going to be on this show so if I hadn't like I've watched it for this show I would have remembered it fondly it's just, as, as you said, watching it back now, at nearly 28 years old, you start picking things apart a wee bit. And you, obviously we know the politics of Hulk Hogan being a bellend and stuff, so it's kind of like, ah, Hogan, classic Hogan. But back then, it would have been the best thing ever, like watching it live. And wrestling is for the moment, not for, you know, 20 years later to be analysed and every mm. excruciating detail. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. After this, I think anyone who is a WCW fan will admit you know, you've just heard how convoluted the rematch was that, you know, they had to debut a new TV show just to end the fucking feud. Um, we have the whole NWO split, Sting joins the Wolf Pack, NWO get back together. I'm just going to kind of run over that because we've kind of touched on that in the NWO show. And at the same time, you know, we've just spent 20 minutes talking about the Crow debut and the build to Hulk Hogan. We could be here on our half an hour just talking about everything that happens with the NWO. Um, I want to talk about his late WCW run. Um, Sting, for someone who was so good, for someone who was a mainstay for so many promotions, the one thing he couldn't do in WCW was get booed. Um, I don't know why they thought this was a good idea, but at Super Brawl 1999, they decided to turn Sting heel and turn Hulk Hogan face. Hulk Hogan was wearing red and yellow again. Ah, that's right. <laughs> Lex Luger comes to the ring and hands Sting a bat. Sting obliges, hits Hulk Hogan with a bat, and then, you know, not often do we praise Vince Russo, but Vince Russo came in and went, why is Sting a heel? Make him a face again. And that it's one of the rare times Vince Russo has got it right, so fair play to him. Um, Aye, that's probably the only thing he got right in his WCW run. Um, I think it lasted about three weeks, that heel run, I remember. It was... I, I, it, I vaguely remember it. It's two months, but would, would you like to hear what happens in this horrendously convoluted... This is when he gets it wrong, very wrong. <laughs> the title gets vacated like nine times. Yes, sort of. <laughs> right, aye, go for it. Aye, do a timeline. <laughs> oh my god, it is absolutely... <laughs> Does this include the Halloween Havoc incident? What one's Hulk? that? That is the incident where Hulk Hogan doesn't like the booking for a bit of a reason. So he comes out to the ring and lays down and makes Sting pin him. Oh god, how can we forget? Remember? Yes, this, is, this happens right during that, yes. Yeah, uh, and then Vince Russell comes out the next night on Nitro, or maybe it was even later on in that paper, I don't remember, uh, and cuts a shit promo on Hogan. Cut, right, this is fucking, bo- that's my Vince Russell impression, that's terrible, so hold on. <laughs> I forgot I've been to the top prison. Do you say it's fucking... No, hold on. Let me work it. Hold on. Give me a second. The first one sounded like, uh, what's your man from the British guy from Fast and the Furious? 
My name is Vince Roos, and that's English. What the fuck? Right. I can't do impressions. I can't do voices. I'm just going to do my normal voice. Are you talking about Vince Russo, bro? That's better. Vince Russo, bro. <laughs> oh, I'm from New Jersey or New York. It's the same accent to me because I can't do accents. That's fucking Jamaican, apparently, at the end there. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right, hold on. Right, one more time. Right, um, uh, okay, right. I'm trying uh, to get just... here. We're just listening to Ryan's breakdown here, Chris. Yeah, yeah. This is, <laughs> this is what happens when you're in lockdown for six months. You just this is the first time I've been out of the house. I'm only sitting in my car, but like I'm outside oh, no, of the no. house and I can speak in a normal tone of voice. I'm the longest. We're about to hit. Old. We're about to hit crow, Ryan. Uh, okay, <laughs> this is the evolution of my character right here. Okay, um, Paul Colgan, this is some bullshit. Is that, is that better? <laughs> No, doing your normal voice. <laughs> right. Basically, it comes out next night and cuts a promo on Hulk Hogan, um, saying that it's bullshit and that Hulk Hogan has creative control on his contract. And it is that Vince Russo thing that annoys me now. At the time, I thought it was cool, but it just pisses me off now. Where he uses a lot of like, insider terms and tries to break kayfabe and all that because he's cool. Do you know what I mean? And just basically talks about the contract situation and how Hulk Hogan didn't want to put over Sting. So in a half, Hulk Hogan goes out of the ring and. And he's caused the same body to put any point on his wrestling gear. That's how disrespectful he was. And makes Sting basically pin him. And Sting yeah. walks away raging. And not for the first time in his career, but we'll get to that in TNA. So, um, fall brawl, Sting turns heel. Fair enough. We, we could have seen where it went. However, as Ryan mentions, at Halloween Havoc, and the third last match on the card, uh, Hulk Hogan comes out and lies down for Sting and loses to him in three seconds. Goldberg then defeats Sid Vicious by TKO to become the United States champion, which means he is the number one contender in the old WCW. So they basically decided to make that rule again. Goldberg takes on Sting for the world title later that night and wins in three minutes, eight seconds. The following night on Nitro, Sting declares he never agreed to defend his title and calls James J. Dillon to the ring to explain. Dillon then announces the title was being vacated due to Sting's attack on Charles Robinson during the unsanctioned match with Goldberg and announced a tournament for the vacated title to conclude at the following month's Mayhem pay-per-view. He then turns face again by being beaten in the semi-finals by Bret Hart where he shakes Bret's hand at the end of the match. Brett then defeats Chris Benoit to become the world champion. Beat. <laughs> Who said beat there? Was that you, Ryan? Uh, that was me, yeah. I, just, I was, pre- was post editing you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris. Bret Hart beats to- somebody. Yes, Chris, uh, Bret Hart beats Stephen Richards. Um, Chris, we talked about how great the booking was in the lead up to the Hogan match. This is. Um, it's a tale of two WCWs, this. Yeah, absolutely. And as someone who has volunteered to watch every Nitro and, you know, general WCW, I am wholeheartedly not looking forward to reliving this 2000 era of WCW. They literally were just ruining themselves day by day. And I basically hate all of it. I think if you look at 2000 for WCW's world title, I think that you can see there's something like 16 vacations and the actual number of different champions is ridiculous it's just it's an absolute pile of madness and not in a randy savage way 
No, that's right. I mean, you have to watch every single Nitro or every single WCW event, and that honestly, I feel so bad for you because I tried to watch one a couple of weeks ago, just one Nitro. It was a Nitro that had the the triple cage match, the, the cage, ah, yes. the cage on top of it, and a cage on top of that, and it was um, it was like Goldberg versus Kevin Nash versus Scott Steiner versus Sting versus somebody else. Uh, I think it may have been Russo, and Russo came to the ring wearing like hockey gear and all that and a helmet and stuff. Yeah, he has a helmet on. And I, I remember um, loving that when I was a kid because I just the three cages was such an amazing sight to me. I was like, three cells on top of each other? That's fucking amazing, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I remember watching this as a little boy. Like I've got memories sitting in my living room floor watching this on, on it used to be Channel 22. It was Cartoon Network, then at 9 o'clock it turned into TNT. Um, and had WCW Nitro. I was the only guy still watching it at that time. Um, and I remember watching the Triple Cage match. So I thought, oh, that's that's good. I've got fun memories. I'm going to watch it. So a couple of weeks ago, I tried to watch it. But I watched the whole episode of Nitro it was on. And I, I couldn't get through it. Like, I simply had to turn it off. Um, there was about like four segments with the Harris Brothers on it. There was a, a Shane Douglas versus... Sean Stasiak match, which went far too long. It was just and the amount of booking and changes every segment in between matches. It would just go to Vince Russo changing a match. But, so they would announce the matches at the start of the show, right? Coming up tonight, we've got this, this versus this, and then they would have a segment. They would have a match, and then a segment where Vince Russo would change the booking mid-show. And you see the commentators, it cuts to it, Tony Schiavone and stuff. Just sort of throwing the pens down as if, oh, okay, folks, this has been changed. You can actually see it live, the frustration on the on the faces of everybody who worked there. It was just a fucking, it was just a mess, a total, total mess. So with that, <laughs> with that, sorry, I'm hot again. With that sort of, you know, off-topic thing, you can see why we don't we didn't go into the Wolfpack thing because that that just leads you into more avenues where it's like. My God, so much has happened here. Um, this is why I'm not on the show regular. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. Um, before we move on to his feud with Van Piro, because I know you want to talk about that, I'll give you a quick story. You mentioned Sean Stasiak there. Yes. Do you know I, I once mentioned, I messaged Sean Stasiak, who is now a doctor. He followed me on Twitter, so I followed him back, and I messaged him saying, would you like to do an interview? I'm thinking of doing a series of interviewing wrestlers who have went on to do other things after wrestling. He read the message and then unfollowed me. Really? Yes. It is, the, it is the most despicable knockback I think I've ever gotten. <laughs> aye, that's, aye, that is right up there. Sean Stasiak just fucking power moved you. I know. Mr. Am a doctor. Jinky's just too good. Jinky just has not to do wrestling anymore. Jinky's doing something that mentions wrestling to him. He's just done with it. He hates it. He's embarrassed by his career. What the fuck do they follow me for? That's all I do is tweet about Maybe wrestling. Maybe for somebody that knows me from a medical profession. <laughs> somebody that, that's actually following me because they want to know the real Sean Stasiak. As soon as you mentioned an interview, he's like, oh, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Chris, I know Ryan wants to talk a wee bit about Vampiro. <laughs> no, do you know what? I don't because I will be here for about half an hour. Just, I'll just say right. I enjoyed that feud and that was it. <laughs> Chris, My you only... My only memorable contribution to the Vampiro uh, Sting feud era of WCW is just there's one, I always remember this, there's a Nitro 
where Vampiro gives Sting a bloodbath. Oh, it was and great. Then it's, it's, it's excellent, but the next week on Nitro, or either the same week on Thunder, Sting turns up, still in his gear, still covered in blood. So <laughs> WCW are trying to imply that wrestlers don't, <laughs> they, they, they don't... They don't wash in between... I think what they were trying to go for was the idea that when Nitro ends, Thunder starts, like it's one big show. But yeah, Sting quite literally turns up to the next show covered in all this blood and it's like, Sting, you know how to wash me? Like, it is much stupid. But you see what they're going for there. But it, aye, when you break it down, it is pure stupid. But I remember loving that again as a kid. I remember watching that and actually enjoying it at the time. Because they had all these big stupid Vince Russo gimmick matches, which once again, I hate, I hate now, but back then they had the graveyard match. They had a, I forget the name for it, but basically a scaffold match, but they fought on top of the Titantron. Uh, mm. And that's where Sting gets set on fire. And then some bad stuntman just jumps off the stage. <laughs> um, it was just stupid gimmicky stuff, but it really put over Rampiro. And that was the thing. Sting was at this point in his career where he was a veteran now, so he could work with some of the younger guys. And he'd worked with like, Kidman and stuff like that as well, and sort of helped put them over a wee bit. But Vampiro was kind of like Sting, the white, the white face paint, the sort of weird enigma character. Um, so Sting done a real good job for Vampiro because all these years later, and you asked me about Vampiro, the first thing that comes to my head is the, the rivalry with Sting. So it did do Vampiro a bit of success, I think. And on the fond memories of Vampiro, we're going to wrap the first half of this one, okay can we just go back just sorry wait one thing do you remember vampiro's yeah. weird faction you had but it was vampiro the insane clown posse and the great mutter no that sounds like a fever dream you had i swear to god these were they were a team and it was the icp of course insane clown posse um and the great mutter together with vampiro leading them i, I swear google google it if you don't believe me but it happened i swear <laughs> And just as we leave that in the past, we leave the first half of the Sting show in the past. Uh, when we come back, we're going to touch into the final match on Nitro with Ric Flair, letting his Time Warner contract expire, his TNA run, and of course, uh, we're going to talk about his WWE run, what we might have done differently, and potential dream matches, because there's constant rumours at the moment that Sting may make a return. But we'll catch you in five minutes, uh, Susan. Hello folks, I'm Nathan Fisher. And I'm Chris Murray. Join us on the Monday Night Viewing as we look back on every head-to-head episode of Dowdef Raw and WCW Nitro. Find us on the brand new Suplex Retweet Extra feed, available on all good podcasting sites. Most of these matches against Rick, they were, they were all the same. They were, they were the same. I can remember having these talks with Rick, you know, after the like 900th time working with him. I can remember saying, Rick, I mean, we gotta change it up. We gotta change it up, you know? <laughs> and then he'd tell me the story about him when he was younger watching Ray Stevens, you know? He said, if I went to watch Ray Stevens wrestle and if he didn't do his deal in the turnbuckle and flip over the top like that, I felt like I got ripped off. So he said, I want to give him all of that, you know, and more. <laughs> and so, you know, we did, it wasn't the exact same thing, but it was a lot of, you know, I mean, think of how many times we did work together. I mean, how, how much more creative can you get? 
uh, because you know with Rick, you know we're not going to have you know ladders or you know brawls up into the audience or anything. Rick didn't like that kind of stuff. I like I like I like to do all that, you know. But Rick, you know, he wanted to have just you know a wrestling match in the ring, so. You know, how much can you do after about a thousand? We had to wrestle thousands of times. Here comes Flair, going for the figure four. He's got him inside cradle. Can this be all? Yes! A new heavyweight champion of the world has been crowned. Sting has upset Rick Flair to win the heavyweight championship of the world. The Stinger has done it. That was electric that night, I remember Baltimore was always that way, but that was pretty intense. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. And we're back here on Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. I'm Ross McLeod, joined by Ryan Wilson and Chris Murray, talking about the icon that is Sting. Um, guys, we talked about obviously his Vampiro feud and the state WCW was in. Um, maybe one saving grace of when WCW finally finished, Chris, was that um, the final match was him versus Flair, as it was on the first episode of Nitro. Yeah, and it's, it's so fun because obviously I've seen the final Nitro from when I was younger and most recently I've watched the first Nitro. So I've like got the bookends of this timeline but just in the wrong order and mm. again much like what I said even though that match is kind of crap the final Nitro one it's on, it's an okay ending to what Nitro was and it sums it up quite nicely yeah it, it sums it up quite nicely I think as well uh, Ryan it's WCW's guy you know we think of The Undertaker as like the WWE guy you know because he'd been there so long Sting was there from like 88 to 2001 He's the only guy to appear in every WCW video game. And th there was never like a wee flirtation with WWE. It was always WCW. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a very loyal guy and that sort of continued as well, even through TNA, um, where he could have jumped ship and he never. Um, he was, I believe, if I could be wrong in this, he's the all-time record holder of WCW for pay-per-views appearances like not necessarily matches but even appearing in the rafters and stuff I think it's like something like 166 pay-per-views that he appeared in more than anybody else uh, it's uh, 99 he's appeared in 99 pay-per-views don't know where I get that number from 66 up to oh, 99 so there we go I think 166 <laughs> is his matches for TNA I think you've got that <laughs> you've got the TNA that's wrong here oh hi Keep it, keep it, Ross. <laughs> Edit that out. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, it does not matter. Um, the point is, he was, he was their guy, as you said. The, the comparisons were made his whole career to the Undertaker because they're quite similar. Um, and it was good him and Ric Flair. Um, I know Ric Flair did go to WWF and and stuff, but they were both there from when it was NWA, WCW, and then it just fell off to be just WCW. They were both there too. Um, two legends, two Hall of Famers, two of the greatest of all time. It made sense, and it's kind of a shame, because when Nitro ended, you had arguably the two greatest wrestlers in Nitro history. And it's just a shame that they had all that talent for that time and never used them. I'm pretty sure Sting wasn't used for like the last six months to a year before showing up in that last Nitro. 
he got injured in quotation marks against I think it was Scott Steiner Buff Bagwell injured him and just seen out his contract until that last night and it was a bit sad the way it ended yeah it was um, it's ironic that if he never worked for WWE Chris um, he still technically would have because WWF had bought WCW at this time this was a WWF produced episode of Nitro so technically this was Sting's first WWF appearance Ah, oh, I never thought about it that way. That's fantastic. Of course, <laughs> simulcast, so he would have been on Raw that night, effectively. Yep. Um, yeah. But obviously, we're talking about TNA here. He shows up in TNA for the one-year anniversary show. He teams with Jeff Jarrett to take on AJ Styles and Sean Waltman, also known as X-Pac, uh, in a tag team match at TNA's one-year anniversary show. But it's not until 2006 where he returns full-time and he he gets into a feud with Jeff Jarrett over the NWA title. And Chris, you're a regular, obviously, watcher of TNA at this point. We talk about Triple H's reign of terror 2003 to 2004. Jeff oh, don't Jarrett, you dare, don't you dare take JJ's name in vain. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Chris, Chris, back me up on this. From like 2002 to 2006, Jeff Jarrett did not want to give that title up. <laughs> no, he did not. And it's... I remember this very, very vividly. Like, my first exposure to Sting was probably his appearance in the film Ready to Rumble. But my actual <laughs> first exposure of his wrestling was this period in TNA. And I just I absolutely love it. Sting basically appeared and saved TNA. Like, literally, it was under the, the, the grip of Jeff Jarrett for so long. Like, it was genuinely, it was like multiple years. He held the title for the best part of three years. He, you know, he, he would lose it to AJ Styles and then win it back. And then he would lose it to Ron Killings and then he would win it back. And he'd maybe lose it to Raven or something like that and win it back. And it was Sting that finally sort of turned the tide. And, oh man, I, I remember this period of wrestling so fondly. Like, pre-Hogan, Bischoff, TNA, but... Once they kind of find their feet, once Impact had started, I think maybe the period of like 2007 through to 2010, when Sting was pretty much just running the show, absolutely fantastic. And much like what you mentioned about the WCW pay-per-view, I was reading last night as well that the most bought pay-per-view in, his, in the history of TNA was also headlined by Sting as well. As a this bound for glory, career match. No, it was, was uh, not a turning point or something like that. It was the final resolution pay per view. That's uh, so it. Was, it was a tag team, wasn't it? Against somebody. Yeah, exactly. Like, team and with Jarrett. You're so close. It was Sting and Cage, Christian Cage, who defeated Jeff Jarrett and Monty Brown, and uh, Sting right, got the yeah. pin on Jeff Jarrett. Nice. That's right. Because I remember, I, I'm right there with you. By the way, this was my favourite TNA time. Um, I, I was a massive TNA fan at this time. This is when I first discovered who AJ Styles and Samojo were. And I was just like, this is fucking amazing. This is the best wrestling I've ever seen at that point, is what I thought. Um, and I remember, I don't think they were called the Motor City Machine Gun yet. Yeah, I'll say that again. The Motor City Machine Guns. Yeah, but um, was it Alex Shelley? Correct me if I'm wrong again. But he was doing that sort of gimmick where he had a camera and he was like filming people backstage and stuff. Yeah, Paparazzi um, Productions. That's right, Paparazzi Productions, that was it. And then Sting came out, I think it was after that tag match, um, and retired. Again, in air quotes. 
said thank you TNA for one last run and sort of disappeared. Then Alex Shelley was following him about for a couple of weeks with a camera. <laughs> um, at, like at his kids' school and stuff, like just doing normal stuff, like at the fucking grocery store to make sure he was definitely retired. And then I think he catches him and says, like, stop following me about, you dick. Um, I'm going to come to TNA and tell Jeff Jerry to stop ordering you to follow me about. Am I right? Uh, correct me, step in if I'm totally wrong here. <laughs> it's, it's a wild dictation of events, but it's actually pretty much spot on. <laughs> this, this is where I don't like the fact that kayfabe doesn't exist anymore because I'd, I'd like the fact that this happened in like the 80s and you just see Sting in full face paint and gear doing his grocery shop and just standing, standing oh, at the orange aisle going no these, these aren't quite firm yet we'll, we'll get the tangerines today um, <laughs> some old ladies tugging on his trench coat can you help me get that for the top shelf and he just knocks it down <laughs> with his baseball bat he's like there you go <laughs> um, but yeah he has this amazing title versus career match against Jeff Jarrett the one of the good things about this as well is the hybrid look he's got. It's like part crow, part surfer sting, part wolf pack. Uh, wolf pack, Jesus. Um, it ends the reign of terror of Jeff Jarrett. The king we of the talk- mountain is no longer. <laughs> we talked about how he couldn't. Um, well, actually, sorry, just a wee a wee callback, Chris, on the worst world champion show when Abyss defeats Sting two months later. That was your pick for worst world champion. I mean. I've gone over this extensively in the Worst World Champion show, but they basically they wanted the belt on Abyss, but they couldn't really think up a way that he could convincingly beat Sting, so he didn't. <laughs> and Sting lost the belt by disqualification in one of the most ridiculous storylines in TNA history. Um, this was a dark period, that's right. This, this, also, the last ride match, where like, um, Sting bust, gets bust open with a candlestick, and he's bleeding like profusely. Is this the one with the coffin? Yeah, yeah, and he gets put on top of a coffin and lifted up into the sky. Yep, yep, God. Was, yeah, to, was the, the to the chance of fire TNA. Russo. <laughs> That's right. Um, we talked about how he couldn't get over as a heel in WCW. However, he does get over as a heel in TNA as part of the main event mafia. Him, Scott Steiner, Booker T, Kurt Angle, Kevin Ash, later on Samoa Joe, and obviously everyone's favourite, Charmel, everyone's favourite main event mafia member. Um, this is a weird time because for someone who before, you know, when Sting, I believe it was just before this, refused to take the pin in a fatal four-way, allowing AJ Styles to get the world title. And now he's got this gimmick of holding young talent down. I mean, you can look at Kevin Ash and think, I believe you do that, but it wasn't a believable thing for Sting. No, not at all. That actually goes against everything that we hear about Sting, who's apparently the ultimate professional. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I am going to hold my hands up here and say this is the sort of period in time where I fell out of TNA. I watched it right up in sort of until the main event Mafia time. There was too many sort of old WWE, WCW guys coming in. And I remember when Booker T debuted, so I thought, oh, Booker T, that's great. And then he started using that African accent, remember that? <laughs> And I was like, oh man, fuck this. Um, but I kept watching, and then, you know, Kurt Angle was like shit. You know, he was starting to get really bad with you know, the drugs or whatever issues as he had, and he was like, had that weird beard, his junkie beard, for lack of a better description. Um, and the main event mafia just got a bit too, a bit too, I don't know. I don't know what they were going for, but it just wasn't working for me. And uh, that's when I was sort of just, oh, but I know, I know the point. 
when Samoa Joe showed up with a machete in his jammies and a dick drawer on his face, I thought, I'm out. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's certainly a, a picture that um, Ryan paints there, Chris. Um, you am obviously... I right? Am I wrong or am I right? I'm I mean, right. You, I know I'm right. <laughs> you painted imagery. Um, Chris, when was round about the time you kind of faded out from TNA? I lasted a little bit longer than this. Like, I, I'm I'm not going to lie. I, I didn't mind the main event mafia. Like, I think that the first period of it, I think it was like two years, about 08, 09. I've always said on this show, when we talk about any sort of heels, that the best heels are the ones where what they're saying is believable. It's just like, you know, a little bit annoying. And the whole gimmick of the main event, main event mafia was that, well, they're the best wrestlers in the company. So they should join together to be at the top of the card all the time. I was like, that makes sense. Like in a, in a real life scenario, that makes the most sense. It just obviously got a bit, you know, rubbish when Kurt Angle took it over a bit too much and basically made it all about himself. But then we got a bit of redemption as well, where Sting basically turns on Kurt Angle in the main event mafia and he says, no, like he starts being like, no, 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 this is not what we made this for. And uh, and then, of course, they had a face run as well down the line as well. That's yeah, right. Did, did they not fight at Bound for Glory? Uh, and that's when Karen Angle turned on Sting. All right, I'm saying that. And Kurt Angle won all the belts. Am I getting yes. my, my timelines mixed up? No, no, that, uh, was, the, that was the, Joe. Yeah. Oh, right, okay, sorry. Uh, again, I wasn't really watching at this point. I was only watching sporadically, so I'll be a bit <laughs> shaky on this subject. No, no, it's fair enough. It's, um, WCW and TNA have the similarities of there's a lot of good, but there's also a lot of things that kind of same-ish, even though it's different characters. Chris, just before we move on to his WWE run, um, you talked about pre-Hogan Bischoff. Did you stop watch- watching around about that time? I stopped watching around about... I think I got as far as, like... I remember Bully Ray being champion. I remember um, Chris Saban being champion. I remember Austin Aries being champion. I think once it gets to, like... You know how Lashley had a really long run? I missed yeah. all of that, and I missed... Drew McIntyre champion or Drew was he Drew McIntyre I, Galloway, I, I missed I missed big big Ayrshire Drew being champion in TNA I missed that um, I think there was when they stopped doing like the impact zone when they lost the contract for the impact zone they had to move it to that other stage in Universal Studios I just didn't really like it and yeah it was around that time so I, I mean I stayed for a long time of mm. Bischoff and Hogan I, I stayed well, well beyond um, uh, aces and eights. The, you know, the J- Jeff Hardy Abyss Hogan heel storyline. I, I stayed through all of that, and it was it took a long time before I finally was like, nope, I'm done with this company. I'll take my hat off to you by the way because you you suffered through a lot of shit. Remember when Sting got Hulk Hogan's Hall of Fame ring? Yeah, sorry, Abyss, Abyss. got Hulk Hogan's Hall of Fame ring and they gave him magic powers. Yep, I remember that. The, the worst thing about it was... How did you fucking Billy Anton and Matelia off and never switch on again? <laughs> I, was, I was young <laughs> and easily influenced. Because <laughs> there is a lot of shit. Again. No, no, there's a lot of shit around about this time. Right. I think we can agree um, the Joker sting for, for what it was, it had its moments, but it wasn't the best. He definitely shouldn't have been having a match with Hulk Hogan when Hulk Hogan was in the state he was in. Oh, um, oh that is... He does get, you know, 
there is a lot of good in TNA which didn't get a really get a chance to touch on um, but he, he's the first inductee of the TNA Hall of Fame and in January 2014 he leaves TNA that's him done and it's not until November 2014 we see him resurface we are in the final minutes of a Survivor Series match Triple H has taken out the referee he has pedigreed Dolph Ziggler he has put Seth Rollins on top of him he's calling a referee down the referee's hand hits two and then the crow cause and down comes what we thought we would never see the icon sting in a WWE arena at a WWE pay-per-view walking down in the trench coat looking totally badass as Triple H looks as if he's about to shite himself um, this this pay-per-view itself is a really shit pay-per-view this match itself is a really good match the match in Sting's debut saved this pay-per-view because it was a fucking horrendous pay-per-view before that yeah I mean I don't have many memories of it which tells you enough uh, I did watch this live and like again because of the day nature in it was kind of spoiled I think on Twitter I think a lot of people knew that Sting was going to debut that night but it didn't really hurt it because when he debuted anyway it still got a decent reaction from the crowd or a good reaction from the crowd and I was happy to see him there but when it was when I seen Triple H on the camera and granted fair play to Triple H he sold it well as if it was a big deal but I thought oh shit he's going to fight Triple H at Mania that was my first thought and then my second thought was I don't see Triple H putting him over <laughs> Even at, even at Survivor Series, I was already... The cynic in me was like, fuck, here we go. It started. Uh, Chris, what were your thoughts when you seen, you know, the WCW stalwart, the, the guy who was TNA loyal, show up in WWE? I remember... Was this not the same night... Does anyone remember this about Niche? But does anyone remember... Was this not the same night as an ICW show? I, That's very possible. But basically, I, I, I had... I had some friends that came to Glasgow for an ICW show and then Survivor Series was the same night so they were staying in a hotel and I remember you know we went out and did a whole sh thing for watching it and we were back in my mate's hotel room waiting for a taxi home watching this and I'm pretty sure I remember watching this live and just absolutely losing my mind because something that WWE do quite well is they can take other people's gimmicks and they can actually make them better because they can put better production behind them. Like WWE, hands down, will have better production than TNA will have. So yes. when when this happened and he goes up against Triple H, uh, well, just face to face at this point, when the Mania match got announced, I was so excited because I was convinced that Sting was going to win. Obviously, you know, it didn't quite go down that way, but seeing all of Sting's sort of, you know, brief battles with the authority and stuff like that, and Triple H putting him over massively in the run-up to the match as well. I absolutely loved loved it to bits. I thought it was amazing. It's it's one of those ones... So, we talked about fake Sting, Jeff Farmer. Um, Sting signed a minimal contract, which meant he had four appearances. So, he did... Before WrestleMania, that is. He did Survivor Series, he did the Go Home Raw before the Rumble, to get John Cena, Dolph Ziggler, Ryback and Eric Rowe and their jobs back. He appeared at the Raw before Mania and then he appeared um, at WrestleMania itself. So not many, <laughs> not many obviously opportunities to do long-term storylines with Sting. Do you know who played Sting when he was stalking Triple H? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, I know this. Quiz. This is good for a quiz. It's 
is some sort of good WWE worker. I'm sure. I'm sure it was someone. Ah, I bet you're yeah, crap. Damien Are Sandler. they crap? It was Heath somebody, Slater. Something like that. Heath Slater. Heath Slater. <laughs> Heath Slater in a sting wig and face paint. It was somebody that basically had paused their TV at the right time, and you can clearly see it as Heath Slater trying not to laugh as he scares Triple H. <laughs> I can't even do that, right? Um, fair play. I don't actually know that. What are you going to do, though? I mean, if he's only got a couple of appearances, then you need to... You need to... Aye, I don't know. That's that's a strange one. Uh, he does return uh, in September, obviously, we mentioned. Um, that obviously, he loses at WrestleMania. Um, Chris, as a WCW guy, how much does it annoy you that NWO helps Sting? It's so like so much about the so much about the eventual Mania match was so flawed because the Mania match turned into this idea that it was NWO versus DX when that makes no sense because both are anti-order groups like D-Generation X are all about going against the man NWO are all about you know changing things from the norm like those two groups should be pals. In fact, they share members. It made no sense. I, I felt like this match ended up being a way to shoehorn in DX versus NWO, and it ended up making me so mad. And Absolutely. then they shake hands at they shake hands at the end, like like everything was just a bit of fun. And I he just and hit I him really, in the face with a fucking hammer, and then he, he just it made me so mad. Like he hits him in the face with a sledgehammer, and then he gets up, and shakes his hands. That's a good game, good a uh, good match. He just hit you in the face with a fucking hammer. Where is the kid? Sorry, I'm getting hot again. It made no sense. I hated it. I hated every second of it. I hated the fact that it was in the daytime. I hated the stupid Japanese aesthetic that they went with, with the the, the gongs and all that shit. What was that about? Um, I I hated it. I hated it. I hated the fact that Vince McMahon won't let this WCW versus WWE rivalry die. Nobody cares about it anymore. It was like t- 20 years ago at this point. The only person who cares about that is Vince. I think I would to see a match between the two, Triple H and Sting. A regular match. Make it short if you want, you know, six, seven minutes. If Sting can't go, I think that's what they're worried about. And then just it's have, I- it's ironic. Have, sorry, sorry. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna off on one, you can take over. <laughs> it's ironic you mentioned, obviously, they don't let the rivalry die. When you hear JBL on commentary, when Michael Cole's trying to put over Sting, going, Sting fought valiantly took a sledgehammer to keep him down you know try to keep the mystique about Sting like it took a hammer to the face yeah. you know it, it would floor any man and JBL just goes this is war it was us versus them and we won again and you're just like that That has came straight from Vince McMahon hasn't exactly. it exactly that's what I'm saying like it became a sideshow it became all about WWE beating WCW it did not because it wasn't about Sting and Triple H's individuals it became about how great WWE are and how shit WCW was and it, it just it was ridiculous. It was just bullshit. The whole thing was bullshit. I hated it. Um Chris, obviously I think the the Seth Rollins feud was built a lot better, but unfortunately due to injuries and things going on in that match, Seth Rollins pulls out the win. Um Sting is written off TV. He did have plans for WrestleMania thirty two. These plans didn't come to and unfortunately Sting retired after being inducted to the Hall of Fame. I, I sometimes cut WWE some slack. I, I, I think the the Triple H feud, you could have went back on another match there. I think, you know, 
one lo- like Sting himself says one loss I still got to wrestle at Wrestlemania he's not bothered by it but I think the injury he sustained in the Seth Rollins match I think that's why his WWE run has looked at so poorly because basically it ended before it could begin yeah agreed and I bet you well what were the plans for Wrestlemania 32 for Sting I'm assuming it's Taker without even thinking is that what they were going with um, I think it was probably Undertaker because it was the 100,000-seater stadium in Dallas, so they're just like, we need the biggest match of all time. That's why when the likes of, you know, Rock and Wrestle, Cena was injured, Sting was injured, that's why they drafted Shane McMahon. Like, we need a big surprise. Let's bring back Shane McMahon to jump off a cell. Uh, that, would have been, that would probably have been a, the only time that Sting and Taker would have worked. I mean, now, if they do it now, it's just sad at this point. Um, it would have been sad then, to be honest, but aye. Um, I think they've missed the boat with that. They should have done it in, at WrestleMania 27. I know Sting pulled out. I'm not really sure the reason why he pulled out. Um, I don't know if he got injured or if he wasn't fit enough for money. I don't know. But aye, they've missed the boat on that. I, I think. I mean, it might happen at a super showdown in, <laughs> in the near future. <laughs> For all we know, but nobody's going to give a fuck at this point. They've, they've lost the chance. That that's his WWE career. Basically, he has four matches. Um, he did sign a minimal contract, so a lot of the storylines couldn't take place because of Sting himself. Um, but he's got four ma- His record in WWE is two wins and two losses. He defeated the Big Show in a singles match. He then defeated Seth Rollins in the Big Show in a tag match, teaming with John Cena. However, he lost to Triple H and Seth Rollins at WrestleMania Night of Champions. He beat the Big Show the... by DQ, so he didn't even get a pin over the Big Show. It was a, it was a, yeah. a DQ yeah. finish. He never got a pin full victory in WWE. He made Seth Rollins tap out. Uh, so, uh, it was uh, not a good run. Um, you, you touched on Super Showdown, Ryan. I'm going to come back to you. Uh, Chris, just as we get to the last five minutes or so, there's always the conversation of, you know, Sting's apparently healthy again. He wants to come back. The Saudi Prince wants to offer money to get, you know, a big money Sting match. If Sting came back, if he had to come back, who would you put him against? Not The Undertaker, but who would you put him against? I think the answer is quite obvious. I think that this particular wrestler would come out and say something along the lines of, right, you were the best wrestler of the 80s. You were the best wrestler of the 90s. And you could argue that you had a pretty significant claim to the noughties as well. Well, I've been the best wrestler of the last 10 years. It's absolutely unquestionable. I am the phenomenal one. Could you beat me? And I'd have him against AJ Styles. Nice. Nice. Obviously, they've wrestled in TNA before, but the big stage are WWE, I think. And WWE don't acknowledge TNA exists. Aye. I think an AJ Styles, as Chris mentioned, production value. The production value they could put into an AJ Styles Sting match could be sensational. I mean, I would. I would, yeah, I would sorry, I'll, you go. Sorry. I would personally love it because I think, like, if we've learned anything from WrestleMania, like, I'm sure everyone's heard about the conversation between, I think it was Kurt Angle and The Undertaker, where Undertaker was being like oh I'm really sad but my, my match with Goldberg I think it was really really rubbish and Kurt Angle said to him why don't you have a match with AJ Styles he'll make you look absolutely amazing and AJ Styles kind of did in the Boneyard match and I would love it if, if I mean this is the biggest if of this whole show if Sting were to come back which I personally don't think he should do or could do 
if he were to come back, I would love to see what he could do with an AJ Styles match because I know that they, they have obvious chemistry. They both worked for WCW, they both worked for TNA, and they both have worked for WWE as well, so it could be a cool history there. That's fair enough. Um, Ryan, we're in the last minute and 45 seconds. If you had to pick someone for Stink to go against, because you know he will come back, they always come back, um, who would you like to see him go up against? I would agree with Chris, if it's an in-ring match, I would go with AJ Styles because they make anybody look good and obviously the history is there, but if you want to do what they did at WrestleMania and do a produced thing, they could do a, another Boneyard type match with The Undertaker if it's pre-recorded, could make it look good. Or maybe a Firefly Funhouse sort of deal with, with The Fiend, Ray Wyatt. Some good character work can be done there. I don't think I want to see him wrestle a 20 minute match on a, a big show, so something uh, pre-recorded with editing might actually make him look good as long as he gets the win because he needs a win yeah um, just as we get to the final minute I think you know who I'd love to see him go up against just for a career defining win Alistair Black I think the visuals of both guys entrance is, if it's not in the fucking daytime like Wrestlemania 31 um, the visuals of both guys entrances the production value and just the whole you know Sting with the intense crow face not backing down and Alistair Black sitting in the ring cross-legged just looking at Sting as if to say come ahead I think I that, that. Be, I think that could be a fun 10 minute match yeah absolutely I'm, I'm, into, I'm into that so I'm rushing there I realise that we've got a lot of time left also a wee quick note Velveteen Dream Sting comes out first and then Velveteen Dream comes out dressed as Sting <laughs> that would be amazing. So that's my dream, Matt. That wouldn't happen, but that's just a wee, I would That would be fun for me. <laughs> oh, well, there's always 2K22 because 21's been cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is going to wrap it up. Um, obviously, we don't have the time to talk about everything we want to talk about about Sting. There's obviously chunks we've missed out. Um, let us know at Suplex Retweet on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and our Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet community on Facebook who would you like to see Sting go against in a dream match if he had to come back who would you like to see him go up against if you know you know, no limits here who would you like to see him go up against in any sort of dream match any era all that remains to say is thank you very much to Ryan Wilson thank you thank you very much to Chris Murray yeah, thank you very much for having us. This turned into quite a fun little discussion. And we didn't even bring up Jeff Hardy. Oh, I've done it now. Or Robocop. I, I, I kind of deliberately veered away from that one. <laughs> it's a bit sad considering in March... He's skinny like, like Jeff Hardy did into that, yeah. into that pole when he was driving. <laughs> it's a bit sad considering in March of 2011, he could have been facing The Undertaker in front of 70,000 fans. He then ends up fighting Jeff Hardy for 30 seconds in front of 700 fans. I kind of just wanted to avoid that part altogether, but you brought it up, Chris. Thanks for bringing <laughs> It's fine. I'm allowed to talk about him. Jeff Hardy's my favourite wrestler of all time. He has some issues from time to time, but, you know, we can look past it. And, of course, this has been Suplex Retweets, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweets, main channel on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor and Android. If you go to all those great listening devices, you can find Suplex, Re Suplex Retweet Extra, where you can find Any Way Back to the Wrestling, Ryan Wilson and Ryan Gallagher's show on SmackDown, Monday Night Rewind, when Nathan and Chris talk about all the Monday Night Wars, and so much more. 
on that channel and of course at Suplex Retweet Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube I've been Ross McLeod thanks for listening Good night. Ladies and gentlemen Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet now proudly presents Suplex Retweet Extra Get bonus content on WWE, AEW, NXT, WCW, Scottish and World Independent Promotions. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple and Android podcasting sites, as well as YouTube. Head over to suplexretweet.com now.